Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by a stork that delivers all podcasts to their listeners. Are you annoyed by affirmations? How about when you finally decide to talk to someone about your challenges and it goes a little something like this? It's great to meet you. Have a seat. So what brings you in here? I'm afraid to be around people that talk loud or surprise me. I don't know why. It's like sometimes I just want to... <laughs> Think positively. You're only afraid because you forgot to tell yourself that there's nothing to be afraid of. You know how to do it. It's like flipping a switch. Before you flip it, you're afraid of stupid things like toasters and trees. And then you flip the switch in your brain and suddenly you're not wasting time being afraid anymore. Can I go? Of course you can. You're healed. Here, take my card. It has a picture of my face on it and nothing else. It's stupid to be afraid, so keep thinking positively. And all your fears will disappear like a best friend that owes you money. She'll never see them again. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then get ready to start creating the life you've always wanted now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani. I am a personal empowerment coach and host of this show. (laughs) It's called The Overwhelmed Brain, and this is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood. And guess what? Keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. And if you're here to learn more common sense tips for improving your life, someone misled you. (laughs) This is the direct path to uncommon sense, and that's why it's going to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. All right, I want to talk about something that I'm going to call the new normal. And this is when you have dysfunction for a period of time in your life, whether on your own or with friends or family or in relationships, and the dysfunction lasts a long time, so it just becomes the new normal. And what this does to you in your life and your relationships. When you have a new normal, you start accepting things that are bad for you. You start believing things that are bad for you. You keep toxic people in your life. I'm going to read you a letter right now that I received that it's not Ask Paul or anything like that, but it is something that really relates to what I'm talking about in this first segment. So here's the letter, and then I'll give you my comments afterward. Hey, Paul, first of all, I can't believe I'm doing this. Let me just say that. I've never been one to seek help or advice, but a series of events over the last couple of years led me to search out podcasts, mostly something to listen to and occupy my mind. When I came across yours, I binge listened, to say the least. Anyway, where to start? I guess the first thing to know is that I am a serial monogamist. I'm a relationship addict. In short, I have been in one long-term relationship after another since I was 15. It had its good points two children whom I love dearly, though to be perfectly honest, didn't ever see myself having. But it also led me into several disasters, codependency, financial ruin several times over, and overall bad decision making. The last of these relationships just ended today. But I'll get to that. 
Every year for the past couple of years, on or very close to this exact day, something drastic happens in my relationship to really change its course. Around this time in 2014, I discovered my spouse of seven years had been cheating with several people, including my housekeeper and friends. That obviously started the ball rolling there. I moved in with my kids to the home of my male best friend. He was very generous and accommodating, though this was out of the realm of comfort for him. About a year later, I started seeing other people. Not seriously, just here and there. I hadn't been single for years. It was kind of awesome, I thought, never realizing that I was trying to fill a void in me that I couldn't fill with other people. Then I got into trouble with my friend. We had been intimate once or twice, but I never thought about it much. In truth, it was a bit awkward, and I chalked it up to friends with occasional benefits thing. He knew of my other encounters, and one in particular set him off, and he confided that he was in love with me, and I felt the same for him, but I just wasn't ready to do that all over again. And because I wasn't ready, I continued with what I was doing for a while, not really telling him the whole truth about it. He found out in a shady sort of way, by looking at my phone. And then he was angry. It became a that guy or me scenario. I was torn. He was torn. But we loved each other, so I dropped the other person. In short, we decided to try out a relationship together, and we made it official. Honestly, I did it because I felt that if I didn't, I would lose him altogether, and I didn't want that. What we had in terms of connection and honest, unconditional love was something that would have been envied by most. We should have left it that way, at least for a while. Shortly thereafter, things got bad. Yes, we suited the other's dysfunction. He became controlling, demanding, judgmental, angry. He spied on me relentlessly. I became whiny and needy, dishonest, and also angry. This went on for months and months. I won't bore you with all the details, but it's been horrible. Then, when his father passed, he went away. That's when I discovered you and started to rediscover myself. This alone time has brought me so many understandings of both of us, of life and love and relationships. I've started to heal. We spoke today for the first time in months without arguing about the whole thing. We concluded that we weren't ready and that we missed each other and we wanted us back. We both said out loud, and I can't say the word, <laughs> F this relationship. And then we vowed to each other to try our best to rekindle the most important thing, our friendship. At least before we destroyed each other. Now, I don't know if it'll work. I truly don't. I do know that I do want to be with him. We just can't right now. And if it never happens again, at least I know that we saved the best part or tried our hardest. To sum up my purpose here, it's that I had to make one of the toughest decisions ever. Lose my boyfriend, lose my friend, or lose them both. I wouldn't have been stable enough to make that decision had I not listened to some of your advice and taken steps to fix myself. It still hurts. I mean, this just happened recently, but it doesn't hurt as much as it did yesterday or last week or last month. I'm grateful to you for being you and for helping people who don't always know they need it. I'm not sure if this will ever make it on the show, but if it does, feel free to call me Maxine because <laughs> my real name is, I won't say it. <laughs> Best wishes to you and yours. Love your show. All right, Maxine. First of all, no, this is not going to make it on the air. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But thank you so much for writing all of this. And this is you know, quite a story. You moved in with someone after you broke up. And uh, you decided to be intimate with, the, with him a couple times, which turned into a relationship eventually. That always happens. I, I don't know how the friends with benefit thing works. I, could, I don't think I could ever do it because I know my emotions would get involved. So I've avoided that <laughs> entire scene uh, all my life. Though I can say it sounds appealing. But boy, once you introduce sex into a relationship... It's more than just sex, although some people can do it. Some people are just more open in their life, and they can do that sort of thing. I've not been able to uh, accomplish that. <laughs> and like you, I've been a serial relationship person. I've always been with someone in my life until 
I got divorced and then I was happily single. And then suddenly I met someone else after I did some healing, just like you. So thank you for sharing that story and thank you for listening and for the comments that you made about the show. Now, the reason I read your letter is because it goes right along the lines of what I'm talking about in the first segment, which is the new normal. The new normal is when you either introduce or welcome or it just gets created dysfunction in your relationship. I'm talking about any relationship. It could be friends, family, even your relationship with your coworkers, any type of dysfunction that makes you not enjoy your time with them as much as you could. And this could be minor dysfunction. For example, I had a friend that complained all the time. And I really liked hanging out with him. There were a lot of great qualities about him. We did a lot of fun things. But he complained all the time. So I would have this little thing inside me that would activate every time he complained. I would get a little upset like, oh, why didn't he just shut up? <laughs> and so I had to distance myself from him because I was becoming less and less happy while with him. So I felt all these great things while I was with him for a long time until the dysfunction got to me. And it wasn't just his complaining. It was also my resilience to his complaining. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the first time I heard it, it's kind of funny. Okay, he's complaining about something. Second time I heard it, it's still kind of funny. And maybe 10 times I hear it, it's funny. But then 11 times I'm like, geez, you're still complaining about the same thing? I mean, you've done nothing to resolve this problem in your life. And every time I give you a piece of advice, you just say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. <laughs> and so it's hard to continue listening to the complaining. So the 12th time comes and the 20th time comes and then finally the 100th time and you're like, geez, I can't take this complaining anymore. And so my resilience and tolerance to that complaining increased while we were in the friendship. But what I was also doing is re was repressing my upset about it. So here's where my dysfunction kicks in. His dysfunction, and I'm using this term very loosely, was complaining and complaining and complaining and not doing anything about what he was complaining about. Yes, there are things in your life that you have no control over and you can't do anything about, but what's the point in continuing to complain about things that you can't do or won't do anything about? And some of the things he was complaining about, I actually had suggestions for him, but he didn't want to hear them or take them. He just wanted to complain. So yes, I had to distance myself. But the idea that we both had a dysfunction was the point, is that I became more resilient and tolerant of his complaining, at the same time repressing my upset about his complaining. And his complaining in general kept him where he was. He never progressed. He never got anywhere with what he was complaining about. And from the looks of it, he never would. So what was I going to do? Just stick around and continue listening to that, but enjoy every other time? No, I decided to decrease my contact with him and get out of the friendship more, more or less. I mean, he's a great guy. He's got a good heart. But I didn't want to be around someone who made me feel bad. He wasn't directly making me feel bad, but I felt bad when I was with him. So I didn't want to feel that anymore, so I got out of it. And that's what I mean when you're with someone who makes you feel bad more times than they make you feel good. Suddenly it's not a relationship anymore. It's just an exercise in tolerance and resilience. But here's what happens with a lot of people is that they're in some sort of relationship with someone and they continue to tolerate and continue to be resilient with what they don't like. It's funny, I just had this conversation with a coaching client recently who said that I thought resilience was a good thing. And I said, yes, it absolutely is. And it can also be used against you. <laughs> it can also be used so you become resilient to toxic things. I mean, if you think about it, you can become resilient to alcohol. I become more resilient to lots of alcohol so I can drink more. Now, is that necessarily a good thing? In my opinion, no. Um, and a lot of doctors' opinions, too. <laughs> no, that's not a good thing. You continue uh, being more and more resilient to alcohol. And, of course, it's a real problem when you are resilient to bad behavior. And this resilience comes from accepting a new level of normal. And what I mean by that is, is imagine that you're driving along 
and you come up to a stop sign and you do your full three-second stop as stated by the law. You do a full three-second stop, right? (laughs) If you're like at least the people that I've seen driving on the road, including myself, you don't stop for three seconds, especially when there's no one around. I mean, you should. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm saying the law says, at least in the states that I've been in, that you're supposed to stop for three seconds. And so you sit there for three seconds waiting for nothing to happen. (laughs) You know, like I said, when there's no one around, it's hard to stop for three seconds. It's just like, what's the point? There's no one around. I can tell there's no one around. So like most people that I've seen, you'll slow down, maybe stop. But then you'll keep going. It's like, I've, I've looked. Everything's okay. I'm going to keep rolling through this stop sign. I think that's what they call it, a rolling stop. Again, it's probably against the law. I'm not recommending you do it, but that's what a lot of people do. They'll come up to a stop sign, and then they'll slow down, and then they'll roll right through it. And then they see other people do it, and guess what? It doesn't really register. Like when I see people do it, it really registers because... When I was married, I was with my wife, and she did rolling stops all the time, and eventually we got stopped by a cop. (laughs) And he said, you rolled through the stop sign. And she knew she did it, so she couldn't really say anything about it. And we got a ticket. So from that point on, I'm very aware (laughs) of stopping at stop signs. Besides the fact that it's the right thing to do, you know. You never know if a kid's going to come around the corner and dart out in front of you, or some car is going to blow through a four-way stop sign and Because you're rolling through it, you're not going to see them or or whatever. There's all kinds of reasons you're supposed to do it, but most people don't. So that's the idea of new normal, is that you get used to rolling through the stop sign, you get used to seeing other people roll through the stop sign, and suddenly it doesn't register anymore. You don't even think about it. Not only do you do it, but other people do it as well, and it becomes the new normal. In fact, you might be with someone someday that actually stops at a stop sign for three seconds and you go, what's wrong with you? (laughs) There's no one around. Why are you stopping for so long? And they might say, you're supposed to stop for three seconds. And you'll go, really? (laughs) Or, yeah, but no one's around. What's the point? And then suddenly you're teaching people the new normal. This is what happens in relationships. This is where we get to when we become more and more tolerant of bad behavior. When you're in a relationship with someone and they do something you don't like and you don't speak up and honor yourself and say, wow, I don't like when you do that. Please don't do that again. They'll do it again. Again, if you don't speak up, they'll do it again. And even when you speak up, they may do it again anyway. And so then we have a choice to make. Do I want to be with someone who does that kind of behavior or do I want to leave this relationship? And if you choose to stay because everything else is great, then you've created a new normal. You've created the new toleration level and a new resilience level to something that you don't approve of or maybe even cr- crosses your boundaries. This is the new normal for your life. And guess what? It goes downhill from there because if you accept one new normal situation, you're going to accept others. But while you do that, you'll tend to repress your anger or upset about it. So not only are you building a new definition of normal, but you're also starting to repress uh, a lot of upset and anger so that it comes out in other ways, like passive aggressive behavior or lashing out or other ways that aren't very helpful to the relationship. And you become just a tad bit unhappier. And if you allow this to go on for days, weeks, years, sometimes decades, like my mom did with my stepfather, then your new normal becomes someone else's terrifying nightmare. And I want you to think about that. If you're in a relationship where your new normal has become someone else's terrifying nightmare, you might have something you need to look at. It's important that you understand where you came from and where you are. Now, it's possible you went into the relationship already having that new normal because of childhood, because someone taught you that it's okay to be unhappy, because someone taught you it's okay to not honor yourself and express what's going on inside of you. 
that new normal that's created at such a young age, it, it gets harder to change when you get older. But you don't necessarily have to change it. You just have to heal from it. And this is where I'm tying this in with this letter today, is that she was married and she got divorced and she took time to heal. She took about a year and said, wow, I'm single again. This is pretty cool. And then she got into another relationship and things got bad, like she said. She said, we suited each other's dysfunction. And I've talked about that. You, When you compliment someone else's dysfunction, there's typically someone who enables and someone who takes. Someone who enables your bad behavior so that you can keep your bad behavior or vice versa. There's always a give and take. It's a, a feedback mechanism that you play off each other. I'm dysfunctional, which helps you be dysfunctional, which helps me be dysfunctional, and we trigger each other all the time. It's a feedback machine, and it works very, very well because it's always getting oiled. And <laughs> uh, Maxine's letter, she says he became controlling, demanding, judgmental, and angry. He spied on me, and then I became whiny and needy and dishonest and also angry, and this went on for months and months. And it was only when he went away where she decided to get some help for herself, to find some healing, to find some answers. She found my podcast. I'm sure she found some other things too. But she started to rediscover herself. Her time alone helped her rediscover herself, helped her understand that this new normal was not good for either of them. It was not leading to happiness for either of them. She was upset more than she was happy. This imbalance can make for a lousy time. And if you're spending more time unhappy than you are happy, then something needs to shift inside you. Not necessarily focused on the relationship you're in, but inside you. Because when you, when you focus on yourself, when you focus on what you need to heal, then the things that used to be a problem in your life are no longer a problem. Because either you're going to get to a space inside yourself where you honor yourself and you get out of those situations or because the problems that used to trigger you no longer trigger you, the other person won't get triggered because your behavior triggers their behavior. But if you don't behave in a triggered way, maybe their trigger will go away too. That doesn't mean you're directly the cause for their trigger. They are certainly triggered by your behavior just like you are triggered by their behavior. But it does mean that once you heal inside yourself and you're no longer triggered, it frees them in a way to have a choice to be triggered or not, to have a choice to heal or not from inside themselves. It's just like the last year of my marriage. I was starting to heal from all my judgment issues in the very last year of my marriage. And when I showed up as someone who wasn't judging my wife, she didn't know what to do. <laughs> she fed off my behavior for many, many years. She fed off the dysfunction that I was putting out into the relationship. And now there we were. I didn't judge her anymore. And she's like, I don't know how to respond. <laughs> I mean, you could almost see the look on her face. She was like, you're not judging me? And I'm like, no, I, I'm fine now. <laughs> and she's, she doesn't know what to say or what to do because our marriage continuously fed off each other's dysfunctions. And so Maxine, this letter writer, she realized that her dysfunction fed into his dysfunction and so on and so forth, and it became the new normal. And so to get out of this new normal, there has to be a recognition of some sort. There has to be a facing of reality where you look at your life and go, I'm not as happy as I could be, or I'm ha unhappy more than I am happy. Oh, that's, that's something I want to change. Because in any relationship, you want to be at least 60 to 70% happier than you are unhappier. <laughs> Hopefully 100%, but it's hard to get to that. So we try our best. We, we try to keep the scale weighed on the happy side more than the unhappy side. And when we do that, we enjoy life more. So it's important that you get to a new, new normal. And the way you understand what the new, new normal is, is that you go, what inside me needs healing? It's never really about the other person because the other person wouldn't be in your life if you didn't have them in your life for some reason. You either have something to learn, which is why you stay in the relationship, 
or you're punishing yourself because you have maybe low self-worth or low self-esteem or something and you have to stay in the relationship or you're forced to stay in the relationship either because you need them in your life for some reason there's a dependency that can't be uh, taken away yet for some reason there's all kinds of reasons why you absolutely have to have someone else in your life does it have to be that person or can it be someone else but let's just say that you are stuck with them then what do you do well first make sure it's not your perception like i have to be with this person because if i'm not with this person then i'll lose all my money in my house and i'll lose all this stuff i mean that's a perceived stuck because you can lose all that stuff and lose that person and then be away from them even though it's not a fun choice to make (laughs) but you can make that choice and now you are no longer with that person and you might find that you're happier no matter what i'm not saying you need to make that choice i mean there are other plans that you need to make if you are with someone that you are going to lose a substantial amount of money or your shelter or you know your kids even if you're in that kind of relationship where you might lose your kids you have to plan ahead You have to talk to the right people. You have to talk to professionals. If you need to get out of a relationship and you're going to lose a substantial amount, then talk to people so that you get your fair share. I don't really want to get into divorce and things like that, but that is part of it because when you're you're in a marriage that you want to get out of because you're unhappy more than you're happy, then you have to plan for that kind of stuff. There's a lot more ties. But any relationship, what I'm talking about is any relationship, work, friendships, romantic, anything where you're unhappy more than you're not and whatever that new normal is where there's just dysfunction after dysfunction and that's normal and people from the outside look in and go what's wrong with you and you're like there's nothing wrong because this is normal just like that rolling stop it becomes part of your life it becomes normal so the first step getting out of this new normal that you're in when you're resilient to dysfunction is to be aware of your level of satisfaction and happiness in the relationship. And if you're unhappy more than you're happy, then that's step one. You've you've figured it out. Like, I am unhappy more than I'm happy. That's a problem. Step two is to ask yourself, what do I need to do inside myself to heal? With Maxine, when she took a break away from him, well, actually he left, she discovered or rediscovered herself, which means she started connecting with herself in a way without his influence in her life. I always recommend you take time to yourself away from the people that influence you, good and bad, so that you know what your own thoughts are. Knowing what your own thoughts are without being influenced in any way by anyone else is where truth comes in. Don't let your truth get influenced by other people's perceptions or viewpoints. I mean, there are times you want to do that, of course, but when you have something you need to heal from, you need to spend time with yourself and going, geez, what's what's inside of me that needs healing? And you don't always know what that is because your mind is influenced all the time. Even in your own house when you're alone, your mind is influenced because the remote control is there. <laughs> you can click on on the TV and watch TV and suddenly you're influenced. Even when the TV's off, it's just like, I want to watch TV rather than have to deal with this inside myself. I want to play a video game. I want to pet the cat, even though that can be very calming and healing. I'm not saying anything against that. But sometimes just taking a break from your own space, like going out to a coffee shop and being with your own thoughts for a few hours. Not that you're going to sit there and meditate, but just to be on your own. Your own thoughts start to appear. They they rise up from the depths. Because someone else or something else isn't there to influence it. And when that happens, that's when change can happen. I remember going out of town for business. And it would last maybe two or three days. And for two or three days, I was nowhere near, this was many years ago, my girlfriend, my house, everything that influenced me at my house, um, the people I used to talk to when I would go out, none of that was around. And I would always come back refreshed with new thoughts, new ideas, and I felt recharged when I returned. So just those two or three days without anyone, even when I was having a good time in my relationship, I came back recharged and happier than I was. So it was a huge benefit just to be apart and away from people 
that influence me. When and if you can do that, that's going to be eye-opening for you because you'll start to hear truth. And some of that truth you may not like. Some of that truth you'll be like, oh, I didn't know that was in there. Sometimes, like I said with my friend, I got more and more frustrated being with him because he complained all the time. And the truth came up in my mind of, you need to distance yourself from him. And I was like, what? He's my friend. I don't want to distance myself from him. I like hanging out with him. That's my, that's my conscious self arguing with my unconscious self about truth. The truth came up where I needed to get out of what I considered was becoming a toxic relationship. That could be truth for you. Or maybe another truth comes up. Or maybe a way to heal yourself. Like, for example, if his complaining didn't bother me. If his complaining didn't bother me at all, then it wouldn't have to become resilient to it. Because it just it would just fly over my head and I wouldn't think twice. But it did bother me because I cared. I cared about him and every time he complained, I would try it on and I would try to give him advice even if he didn't ask for it. So maybe that was part of my dysfunction too. <laughs> but no matter what I did, the dysfunction wouldn't go away and I felt worse and worse every time I was with him. So that's steps one and two. Step three, to get out of this new normal, is to honor yourself. Once you're aware, and then you ask yourself, what do I need to do to heal? Step three is to honor yourself and do what comes up. And sometimes it doesn't come up when you're still with these people, when you're still embroiled in the relationship where you're so attached to everything around you that you really don't have a mind of your own where your thoughts are thought for you. And all I mean by that is that sometimes you're so involved in a situation that you don't even know what you think anymore. And some people don't even know they can trust themselves. So it's vital you get to a point where you understand yourself without the influence of others so that you can heal, so that you can honor yourself and take steps to to make your life better. And what that means will be different for anyone listening. What that means for you will be different than what it means for me. What it means for me is that I just get out of the relationship unless there's a way to fix it. And maybe I don't want to fix it. I mean, there are some relationships where it can be fixed, but maybe you don't want to. So I hope this gives you an idea of what can happen if you continue to allow dysfunctional behavior or any type of toxic behavior in your life. It becomes the new normal. And soon, everyone's going through stop signs and nobody cares and then there'll be a crash and then people will start blaming and pointing fingers and it never works out. (laughs) So don't let it become the new normal and if it already is, then you got to start working on that to understand where you are in that whole situation. And I'd like to thank Maxine for writing this letter and inspiring this topic. Thank you, Maxine. I appreciate your writing and I appreciate you listening to this segment. It went on kind of long, so let's get into the next segment real quick called Ask Paul. All right, welcome back. I thought I'd try something a little funkier for the transition music in today's episode. (laughs) I kind of liked it. Uh, I don't know if it'll stay that way, but that was fun. And I just want to mention before we go into the Ask Paul segment, uh, Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com. This will be a real quick shout out to her because she sponsors the show. GetOutOfTheMess.com. Affordable legal service that uh, does a lot more than you think it does. Asha is an independent representative for Legal Shield. If you don't know what that is, just imagine having a lawyer in your pocket whenever you need one. The power that you feel by going, well, I'm just going to have to contact my lawyer then, (laughs) is something that is hard to beat because life throws us situations that sometimes make us feel powerless. And it's nice to have somebody there that we can call and ask questions to. So consider contacting Asha at 678-355-8777 or go to getoutofthemess.com and just ask her about this service. See if it's right for you. I use this service myself, and I wouldn't tell you about it unless I had full confidence in what it does for me and what it can do for you. Call her today at 678-355-8777 or sign up at getoutofthemess.com.
All right, this segment is called Ask Paul. This is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to answer the question they put forth to me, or the multiple questions sometimes. I'm going to read this one from someone I'll call Sandra. Hi, Paul. I was wondering if you could do a segment on dealing with defensive people. One of my colleagues is very defensive, and she can't handle anything that's remotely close to negative or even constructive. A few times, we were having a conversation about a few controversial topics, and she became quite aggressive. I believe she has some awkward social skill issues. I spoke with one of my colleagues who I've become good friends with about the situation, and she told me to try not to talk about anything controversial with her because she can tell she's very sensitive and can get aggressive with specific topics. Recently, I tried not to, but we accidentally got into a controversial topic. Anyone can see by my tone and approach that I am not attacking at all, and I even have good intentions, even if I may word something accidentally wrong in her eyes. There is no reason to react so dramatically. A couple of times, I have to gently and bluntly say to her, you don't have to defend, just to get her to calm down so she stops reacting. Just merely stating, you don't have to defend, with this particular colleague, has worked for me, but I wonder if you have any suggestions on other communication strategies to cope with very defensive people. Thank you for your podcast. Your advice is helpful with my daily life. All right, Sandra, I hope this advice or my insights or opinions are helpful in this case, too. When it comes to very defensive people, the first thing I would ask myself if I was in your situation is, why are they taking it so personally? What is going on in their life that they're taking something so personally? And on top of that, I would ask, if I were in his or her shoes, what would have to have had happened to me for me to be so defensive about some of those things? For example, let's bring up some controversial topics. If you started talking about pro-life, pro-choice, and abortion, that's going to turn some heads, that's going to trigger some emotions, and that's definitely going to cause some hot debate because there are people on both sides of the fence and they are adamant about their stance. So if one of your hot, controversial topics is abortion and she herself has had an abortion and maybe didn't want to, maybe was forced to, or maybe did it but regretted it, or who knows what circumstances she was in. If that topic is very personal to her, then of course she's going to have a stronger response. That's obvious. It's obvious to know that, oh yes, if we talk about something controversial and that person was heavily involved in what we talk about, then it's going to be a problem for that person in some way, or maybe. It depends on who they are and how they deal with problems or challenges in life. But let's just say that they're not personally involved. For example, everyone's talking about Trump and Clinton and Sanders and all the other candidates. Well, I think that's it. <laughs> and the other candidates have now dropped out. But everyone's talking about politics right now because election time is coming up. So now you have people on both sides of the fence. And it might be a controversial topic. Like, well, did you hear what Trump said about Mexicans and Muslims and you know you hear all this talk about a candidate well did you know that Hillary's under investigation from the FBI and you hear this stuff and you get sucked in because you support one candidate over another so when someone gets sucked in to the point where they become defensive then they are putting in a personal stake in their own future or in their own present in this example because if they don't defend then they will lose and they will lose something of themselves. They will lose a part of themselves. They will lose maybe a freedom in themselves or some integrity or something. When someone's very defensive, there's something to lose. So the idea in this example is when you're standing behind a political candidate, you might typically do so because they have ideals and values that you want for yourself. And if somebody votes for someone else, and now you're talking about the topics that are, are the hot topics for those candidates, you might get defensive going, what you're about to say is infringing on my values. It's infringing on my beliefs. So when you think about it in that sense, all defensiveness comes down to how you're infringing on someone's values or beliefs 
um, or I shouldn't say all, but most or many reasons people become defensive is because you're infringing on something inside of them that might go very deep. But you'll never know how deep it goes unless you have a conversation with them. Now, the conversation shouldn't start with a command necessarily, like you don't have to defend and you probably say it nicer. <laughs> but having that work for you, it doesn't mean it's always going to work. It also may invalidate why they're being defensive. I mean, think about a scenario where someone would get defensive. For example, I use this a lot in the show where you're standing in line at the grocery store because almost every one of us stands in line at the grocery store at least one time in our life. And then someone in front of you pulls out all their coupons and now you've already waited a long time and now they have all these coupons and you start to get a little upset. And then you say, come on. I mean, maybe you'll say that out loud. Like, give me a break. How many more coupons do you have? You may not say anything. A lot of people don't say anything and just sit there steaming in anger <laughs> or some other emotion. But let's just say that you said, oh, how many more coupons do you have? And then they pull out an out-of-state traveler's check and you go, oh, give me a break. <laughs> and then they finally look at you and go, what? What's the problem? And now they're being defensive because you're saying all these things or maybe you're just being, you're sighing a lot like, oh. <laughs> and then they're like, what's the problem? They look at you and they become defensive. And then you decide to say something like, well, you got all these coupons. I'm in a hurry. And now you have an out-of-state traveler's check. And now we have to wait for the manager. Couldn't you have just gotten cash or something? Or, And then they, they get on the defensive role and they go, I don't get paid very well. And I have to save up my money. And I have these coupons. Otherwise, I won't be able to afford groceries. This is the only money I have this week. And they go on and on and on. And they have all these reasons. And they might all be legitimate reasons. But because we were so angry or upset about our own time, about our expectations not being met of having a short time in line, now somebody's in front of us doing their thing, wasting our time. Because we're so focused on what our needs are, we don't consider their situation. We just think they are delaying me and it's a big problem. So they become defensive. So in this case... Their reason for being defensive is valid. But what we can do is invalidate their reasons because our time is more important than their reasons. And that can certainly create more defensiveness, which of course exacerbates a bad situation and makes it worse, typically. Another example is um, when I follow behind cars that just seem to stop for no reason. <laughs> it happens in parking lots, it happens on the road. And they just sometimes stop for no reason. And maybe they're looking down texting, which is one of my guesses. <laughs> or maybe they're looking around trying to find a sign or a road. But here I am right behind them. And they're in their own world stopping traffic, stopping me. And so I used to be the type of person that would just honk and maybe mutter to myself, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> but... I've since backed off of that because everyone has a reason, whether I like it or not, and whether it's illegal or not, whether it's moral or not. Everyone has their own reason that they're doing something. It doesn't mean that they should do it, but it has put me in a better space inside myself that when it does happen, at least something like that, it's usually not as malicious as I make it out to be. Like my thoughts used to be, why that son of a, why is he stopping? This is ridiculous. And sometimes I might still go there, <laughs> but I'll patiently wait for whatever is going to happen next. But I get a little upset that it appears they're being selfish. But then it turns out that they were stopping because a turtle was crossing the road or something. And I've decided to err on the side of caution because sometimes when people stop, there's a reason that I'm not clear about. I've told the story once of uh, someone not going at a green light and I was about to just beep and, and yell at them to get out of the way and it turned out in front of their car was someone crossing the street in a wheelchair and I didn't see them. <laughs> so here I am getting ready to either, oh, I hope not, but pass them. But instead I waited just a little bit longer even after I beeped, saw the wheelchair and then shrunk down to my embarrassed, ashamed <laughs> little boy self and went, oh crap. <laughs> 
So I learned a lot that day to not jump down people's throat so quickly until I have more facts. And this is where I'm going with you, Sandra. What are the facts? What have you gathered for data, for facts from this defensive person? Because I'm totally about being curious about other people's behavior. I want to know why they're being so defensive without getting triggered myself. If I'm triggered myself, it's hard to be curious. But if you can just step back out outside your own triggers, when this coworker is being defensive, if you can step outside of your triggers and go, hmm, that's interesting behavior. I wonder why she's so defensive. I wonder why she can't handle anything that's even remotely close to negative or any constructive criticism. I wonder what makes her be that way. That's who I am now. I wonder why this happens. So I'm going to ask. I'm like, wow, you're very opinionated on this uh, topic. Why is that? Because I want to know. Now she might say something like, you guys are talking so mean about XYZ. And then you can ask her like, oh, that's fascinating. So you think we're, we're being mean. And you want to find out more. You want to dig for information. But in a genuine way, not in a sarcastic way. So that when you ask for more information, you know where she's coming from. Like, oh, wow, why does that make you feel that way? Oh, I'm so sorry. I, d- I didn't know it offended you. But why, why did it offend you? What causes you to have such a, a stance like that? And see what she says. I mean, you don't have to dig into why someone's defensive. But if you really want to know if you're uh, encroaching in some way on their ideals or values, then it's good to find out what you're encroaching upon. You might find a deep level set of beliefs that she has that puts you in a challenging position. For example, I used to work for a company that had uh, several religious people there. And whenever I mentioned anything about God or religion or anything like that, it always sparked a debate (laughs) or some sort of conversation. Now, fortunately for me, I could converse without being defensive and they could converse without being defensive. But I've met people that are very adamant about their beliefs. And if you start talking about the death penalty in Texas, you might stir up something in them about capital punishment and how killing is wrong and then killing people who kill is wrong. And you're going to spark some deep level ideals and beliefs. So I don't know exactly which controversial topics you're getting into, but wouldn't it be fascinating to know why it offends that person? Now, your coworker may be highly sensitive. There are highly sensitive people out there that when you bring up certain subject matter, that they just can't handle it. And wherever that comes from, maybe there's some healing they need to do inside, or maybe they've chosen a way of life that avoids some of the topics that they're uncomfortable with, and they do their best to stay away from any toxicity in their life, because that could be happening too. Your coworker could think that your conversations are toxic to her. Because imagine this. This is something that I've seen a lot, where you have several people in a room, and one person is slightly more offensive than everyone else. And that one person will say things that go just beyond the line of good taste and just sometimes goes too far with what he says. Like I worked with a guy once who would say things so literally and so stream of thought that it would scare you. (laughs) He would say things that would make you cringe. Instead of saying something like, that company ripped me off. I'm going to call their manager. He would instead say something like, those bastards, they ripped me off. I'm going to go down there and light their building on fire, and I hope everyone inside dies. And we'd all cringe. (laughs) Because that just seems unusual. But to him, it was perfectly normal. And I don't know if he would act upon it, but maybe he never would. Maybe it was just a pure stream of thought. But to us, we were all sensitive to what he was saying. We did not like what he said. We thought that he might go crazy one day. And it's possible he has. I don't know. (laughs) But what I'm saying, he wasn't acting upon those things at the time. He would just say things that were very awkward and uncomfortable. And so we would react to it. So imagine the opposite side of that, where you have someone that's very sensitive to what seems like normal conversation, and the controversial stuff to your sensitive coworker 
is offensive and scary to hear. And maybe she's taking things very literally. Or like I said before, her future is at stake. Like, wow, if you're talking about these political candidates and you're all voting for this one person, that means that I'm going to have more taxes taken out of my paycheck and I can barely afford rent as it is. You know, something like that. There's, there's always something deeper. And I think it's very important just to find out what that deeper subject is by being curious about why they get defensive. And another thing I want to say about this that could be happening is that when someone's highly defensive, they're holding a lot of, I don't know how to call it, uh, maybe negative energy, maybe repressed anger or fear, or maybe something that they haven't been able to defend in themselves for a long time or in their relationship. I mean, there may be circumstances outside the office that are compelling her to act this way. And what I mean by that is, Sometimes defensive people lash out when they feel safer to do it. Sometimes defensive people have been in relationships where they couldn't defend themselves, whether that's in childhood or when they grow up. And when you are incapable or you choose not to or whatever the circumstances are where you're not defending yourself, then you might become defensive in other situations where you feel safer. So for her to defend herself or be defensive, I should say, at work, it might be the safest place to do it because when she goes home, maybe she can't. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm making a total guess there, but that is a good thing to think about. Like going back to the beginning of my reply for this segment, I wonder what else is going on in her life that makes her feel this way, that makes her act this way. And it may not be something going on today. It could be something that went on years ago. And ever since then, she's been this way. So what does she need in her life? She, she probably needs a safe place to be herself, to express herself, to just feel comfortable knowing that no one's going to attack her, even when there appears to be no attacking going on. If she's that sensitive, then what has attacked her in the past? Who has attacked her in the past? That's just a perspective. I'm not saying that that's true, but maybe it'll give you a new perspective on how to look at her situation. It doesn't mean you have to become her therapist. It doesn't mean you have to create this safe place for her. I mean, she certainly has the ability to choose where she works and who she works with. But just being aware that something might have happened to her that caused her to be this way and now she doesn't know any other way to be might kick in some compassion for you to go, wow, she's very sensitive to that topic. Hey, I'm sorry, we shouldn't be talking about that. You're right. Or not. Like I said, you don't have to change who you are. You don't have to change what you talk about with your coworkers. But if you care to have some sort of better relationship with this particular coworker, then just be aware of her boundaries, her limitations, and get to know her so that you understand you know, what causes her to feel that way and maybe what you say that uh, crosses the line for her. And maybe her knowing that people are listening to her and understanding her and not invalidating her thoughts, feelings, and opinions on the particular controversial subjects that you're talking about, maybe it'll loosen her up a little bit too. Because once you're allowed to be yourself, then self-realizations come in. And sometimes you go, wow, you know, I've been way too sensitive to that for far too long. I mean, even I was that way for a while. I was very sensitive to a, a comedy show I used to watch on TV because they just seemed to cross the line all the time. And then something happened where I felt more comfortable in myself. I don't know if it was because I was allowed to feel more comfortable or I don't know what exactly happened. I haven't really <laughs> explored that in myself yet. But eventually the, the comedy show no longer offended me like it used to. Who knows? Maybe I became resilient to dysfunction. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Sandra, that is uh, what I have to say on this. I hope that helps. 
There's probably more to the story, and if there is, definitely uh, share it with me. But certainly write back and tell me if this has helped. And if not, then maybe we'll explore it again in some other way. Thanks again for writing, and thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I appreciate you. Hang in there. We're going to end the show, and I'll give you my closing thoughts. Be right back. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. Hey, I want you to go to getoutofthemess.com. Whether you think you need it or not, just check it out. That's where you can find more about Legal Shield. It's like having a lawyer in your pocket all the time. I know the first thing I think about is, well, I can just look it up online. Well, that is true. You can see if you can find a particular piece of information online that will help you legally. But will an online service write a letter for you and sign their name and send it to the company? Will an online service call the company for you and represent you? This is much more than legal information. You get to talk to an attorney one-on-one and get your answers as soon as possible. So I highly recommend Asha and getoutofthemess.com or call her at 678-355-8777. And I would love to see you in the TOB patron program. If you don't know what that is, let's just put it this way. I am a personal empowerment coach. I have some regular clients. I have some new clients that uh, just need a few sessions. And some clients reach out and say, you know what? I can't afford one-on-one sessions. And I totally get that. And that's why I have this show for free. So I can give you everything I possibly can for free. But then I also have the patron program, which allows you to give back and get even more that I don't even share on the show. Plus... If you're in the $29 a month level of the patron program, you get group coaching. I'm doing about two group coaching sessions a month. And the next one coming up is the first one I offer that doesn't have a guest coach coming in. And it's just me coaching with you uh, on a deeper dive into our values and avoiding self-sabotage. So if you're a platinum member of the TOB patron program for $29 a month, we can connect that way. So I'd love to see you there. And in fact, we just had um, a great, it was better than I thought, uh, group coaching session just a few days ago with a meditation coach, Mary Meckley. And it really surprised me because I really thought the entire episode was going to be, okay, just relax as we go through this entire hour at this low energy state. (laughs) I really thought it was going to be something like that, but it turned out she's just a down to earth practical person. She lived in Asia for five years and she learned a lot of great stuff about meditation, including a way to practice it practically where we don't have to be sitting in the lotus position waiting for enlightenment. We could even walk while we're meditating and it really helped. I mean, even the ones that she walked us through during that session really helped uh, calm me in the moment. And I'm a pretty calm person already. But I can already tell some of the differences it made because what she was doing is walking us through any time you're in the moment of fear or panic or anxiety. How can we snap out of that? How do we get out of that? What what are the steps that we can take? And she's got all kinds of steps. She has her own podcast. It's called The Daily Meditation Podcast. So check it out on iTunes if you get a chance. Her name is Mary Meckley. And just for the heck of it, I want you to hear how much fun we had during her visit in this group coaching session that we just had. So you bring in all of yourself. I think we can judge ourselves so harshly, but really, it's just information. Just learn to read yourself and know how to support yourself. It's funny. I feel like saying, thank you for listening to 98.5 Smooth Jazz. (laughs) Our next selection is Cole Porter. So what I liked about that is the fact that you brought in your beliefs and your thoughts about yourself. I mean, this really starts to get deep into our core beliefs and our core worth. And to bring that into the meditation and to breathe into it and to open up with that. And I love visualizations because visualizations really help thought processes that are stuck. Some people have had a a trauma or abuse in their past or any type of neglect or anything that they don't necessarily remember. 
they just feel bad and they don't know why. They feel angry and they don't know why. So why not visualize something? All right, that was meditation coach Mary Meckley. You can find her at sipandom.com, and I'll spell it. So it's S-I-P and O-M, sipandom.com. We had a really good time. I learned quite a bit. I mean, just the fact that I'm holding my stomach in all the time. I mean, one of the things that she said was like, you hold your stomach in all the time. It's always putting pressure on your body. And I was thinking, oh my God, she's right. <laughs> so just those little tips, those little tidbits during the session were, were golden. So thank you, Mary. Go to sipandom.com and check her out. And if you want to be involved in the next group coaching session, like I said, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and join at the platinum level at $29 a month. And you'll get everything in the program plus those group coaching sessions. We've got uh, private episodes over there and a lot of stuff that I don't put on theoverwhelmedbrain.com or this show. And if you don't want the group coaching, membership starts at $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. That's where you get the private episodes. It's worth checking out. Hope to see you there. And whether you're a patron or not, I want to thank you if you've purchased one of my books or worksheets or use the Amazon link on the website. The Amazon link is the easiest way to give back. So if you've been listening for decades, <laughs> I haven't been out that long, but in 20 years, I can look back and say, if you've been listening for decades, use the Amazon link every time you shop. It's a fast, easy way to give back and your shopping habits make a difference. So thank you. And finally, the last thank you goes to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And finally, we were talking a little bit about defensiveness today and how some people are more defensive than others. I had a coworker once whose uh, friend came in and was hanging out with him while I was in the other room, but his friend had really noticeable body odor. And I was young at the time and probably a little stupid. <laughs> so I started um, sending my coworker friend some private messages through the computer saying, hey, do you want me to save you from your friend? And I even called him on the phone and I said, hey, do you want me to help you out and distract your friend and make him go away? I don't know. I forget what I was saying, but it was really kind of mean. And uh, my coworker friend didn't really laugh at the jokes that I was pushing towards him and how I was saying bad things about his friend. He wasn't really acknowledging me at all. So after his friend left, I talked with him and I said, wow, he really smelled bad. And again, I was young. <laughs> I was insensitive. But I, I said that. And my friend's like, yeah, you know, it's hot out. And, and I was like, yeah, but he really stunk bad. And he goes, yeah, well, you know, he sweats more than other people do. And, you know, it's nothing he can do about it. I was like, man, I could have saved you. I could have walked in here and said something. Or, And he goes, will you shut up? He can't help it. And I was like, uh-oh, I crossed the line. I noticed my coworker really defended his friend. He became defensive, but it was for a reason of friendship. It was for a reason of loyalty. He didn't care how offensive his friend's odor was because he had a friendship with this guy and he enjoyed his presence. And just because his odor offended me doesn't mean it offended him. I was the one who became sensitive and I was the one who was a jerk for saying things about his friend. So when my coworker friend became highly defensive, I shrunk down into that, oh crap, what did I just do? Who is the bigger person here? Is the bigger person the one who's defending someone who can't help the way they smell? Or is the bigger person the one who's saying, I could have saved you, man. You were with that smelly guy and I could have saved you. I mean, the, the answer is obvious. He was the bigger person and he became defensive for a good reason. And he taught me a huge lesson that day, a huge, huge lesson that I need to open up my heart. And, and that was a time when I was very judgmental but it did help me open up my heart and realize that, you know, not everyone's going to see the world the way I see it. And not everyone's going to see the world the way he sees it. And some people are going to be more unconditional in their friendships, in their relationships. And so who am I to judge their relationships with other people? Quite frankly, I was projecting how I felt onto him. And what that means is that I expected him to feel the same way I felt. Because if I feel that way, then the world must feel that way. 
if I think that guy stinks, and I even hate to say it now because it's offensive, but at the time that's what I was thinking, then the world must think that guy stinks. And the world must think that we need to get him out of the office so he doesn't offend everyone else. But that's simply not true. That was my own reality at the time and my own bad behavior at the time. Now, I didn't know any better. I was young and stupid, immature. But I learned that my reality is not the only reality that matters. And that's important. So when you're around sensitive people, it's not that they are being a jerk to you and it's malicious. It's that they have a different reality and they may see things different than you. So it's good to be aware that what we believe is not a big deal. Others may not feel the same way. And how can we step back into our own compassion for other people's place in life and meet them where they are? Well, one way is to open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.